If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the History Extra podcast. Fascinating historical conversations from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. Hello and welcome to this Everything You Wanted to Know Halloween special. To explore the long history of all things that go bump in the night, we've got a two-part special for you with the historian Professor Owen Davies, who's written books on the history of witchcraft, magic, ghosts and other supernatural beliefs. In this first episode, we're answering your questions on the history of the festival of Halloween and delving into the origins of some of the most popular traditions that surround the 31st of October. From the malicious and downright dangerous beginnings of trick-or-treating to the ethereal inspirations for jack-o'-lanterns. And in part two, which will be out tomorrow, Owen will be tackling more listener questions on the history and evolving mythology of our most popular Halloween monsters. Owen, thank you so much for joining me for this two-part Halloween special of our Everything You Wanted to Know series. Let's start with an incredibly basic question about Halloween, but a very important one nonetheless. So we've had a question on Instagram from the Morty candidate who has asked, what is the meaning and origin of the word Halloween? 
Can you kick us off? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's simply a contraction of All Hallows Eve, with with Eve evening being contracted to Eve. So it's yeah, essentially it means All Hallows Eve. But it's obviously easy to say Halloween actually. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go into All Hallows Eve then. Ali Louisa and Belle Buchanan on Instagram both wanted to know where this idea of Halloween or All Hallows Eve originated from. In, in both its name and origin, it, it's, it's a Catholic festival. It's a Catholic festival of the dead, basically. And we have evidence going right back to the early centuries of the Christian church. And Halloween is part of kind of three days of commemoration slash celebration, which is called All Hallow Tide. So you've got All Hallows Eve on the 31st, Halloween. Then on the 1st of November, it's All Saints Day. And then on the 2nd of November, All Souls Day. All Saints Day is, is commemorating the saints up in heaven uh, or celebrating. Uh, and obviously, All Souls Day is, is connected to purgatory and, and the souls of the dead. So, yeah, it, it's, it's all part of this, you know, global old Catholic festival. And were there any precursors to a slightly supernatural festival or is it very strongly based in the Christian tradition? This has been. This is a yeah. This is a big. This is a big debate. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of stuff out there which is saying this is actually based on a, on a Celtic festival, Samhain or Savon, if you don't pronounce it correctly. And uh, yeah, the lot has been written right right back to early anthropologists and uh, early folklorists in the late nineteenth century that that essentially the idea was that All Hallows Eve or Hallows Tide was basically a covering up of of a pre Christian festival in this period now obviously i'm sure things did go on but we just don't know and everything about current traditions really can be tied into catholic old christian festivals as well so i'm not saying there wasn't a pre-christian you know celebrations but it's that the evidence is thin and a lot of the you know evidence that gets brought up today is what we call survivals uh, survival theory which is early folklorists who are just desperate to find anything pre-christian in calendar customs and popular traditions and beliefs and that's it does kind of stem from those early folklorists desperately looking for fire festivals and sacrifice and uh, horse cults and all these sorts of things in in you know fairly mundane everyday calendar customs so next we've got a question that might be completely impossible to answer but rumham amazing name on instagram has asked when was halloween first celebrated it, it, it dates right back. I mean, in the uh, kind of a point where it gets attached in the calendar as we know it today is around in the 10th century. So this is this is essentially when commemoration of the dead is kind of put, you know, as a red spot, as a red letter day in the church calendar. But you know, before that, and in other churches, some of the Orthodox churches, the commemoration of, of the dead or the saints, you know, can ha- happen. At, other parts. So in some Orthodox traditions, for example, it's it's during Easter. If you want to root Halloween as in the commemoration of the dead or connected with the dead, at this time of year, it's obviously happening before the 10th century, but that's when it gets fixed in the calendar, certainly in, in Western church. Well, that's an important point, isn't it? Let's talk about geography. Sequin Run on Instagram has asked, why is Halloween seemingly mostly celebrated in North America today? And do you think that is a fair representation? Where did it originate and where has it been celebrated over history? Well, Halloween, as we we celebrate it today, or lots of people celebrate it today in, in the West, does derive largely from how Halloween and other related traditions 
uh, were brought over to the states, particularly amongst the, the massive migration, particularly of Irish and Scottish in the mid 19th century at this period that's that's separate from the origins of a religious festival which is obviously the the, the early the early pilgrims and settlers whether they're they're from you know britain or they're from germany in the 18th century and 17th century are protestants yeah, most of them are protestants who obviously do not celebrate or commemorate the dead and absolutely do not believe in purgatory so you know in a sense uh, protestants would have rejected the whole all hallow tide traditions. So, you know, we can't place it there in America, really. And obviously, that, you know, in America, Thanksgiving developed, you know, roughly around this time as, a, as a, another, you know, secular stroke religious um, festival as well. But it is mostly in America, which comes down to, um, in particular, the emigration of uh, Irish and Scottish, because they had a distinctive tradition around this time of mischief night, which is sometimes today on the 30th of October, not the 31st, but it, it's all mixed up. And you can you can look at newspaper reports from 19th century America and find you know numerous reports of things happening on Halloween, uh, which were acts of mischief, quite serious acts of mischief, actually. Can you give us some examples and tell us a bit more maybe about Mischief Night? You, you can have these sort of mischief nights where mostly young men, it's nearly always young men, um, go out and perform acts of mischief. Sometimes it's associated with May Day, sometimes other parts of the calendar, but it was particularly strongly associated around All Hallows, All Hallow Tide and Halloween. So you do get newspapers in America sort of reporting, oh God, you know, that they're at it again sort of thing. This is from the, so right through to the 1930s. But things like, um, quite serious, like greasing railway tracks. Oh, wow. So they could have real dangerous consequences yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or knocking over outdoor toilets. When it came to the rise of the car, puncturing tyres, you know, quite quite malicious sort of stuff. This is lots of young men roaming around, having you know, getting a bit of freedom. And obviously, you know, the term trick or treat derives from the idea of trick. But essentially, the, the sort of mischief night was not necessarily about going around, going, we'll do this unless you give us some money sort of thing. Although there's elements of that. But it is just about mischief when the norms, the norms of policing and stuff are kind of slightly broken. You get other calendar customs, like the Plough Monday is another one, you know, where young men go around and pull a plough and they go begging at the same time. And if you don't do it, you know, they're going to be a bit annoying and plough up your plough up your lawn, you know. So it, it, it's one of a series of these sorts of events where customary tradition trumps local you know, justice and rule, or kind of, you know, the local police constable steps back a bit on these occasions. So, yeah, you, you see that all over the place uh, at this time. So it's misrule, misrule, a bit of misrule, you know. And obviously, I think... You know, one of the reasons why that happens around All Hallows Tide is it could be that it's the kind of thing of, not in a very serious sense, but it's the idea, well, this is the time when the spirits are uh, closest, the spirits are out, and things like the fairies, and it's a time of, 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 where, of supernatural intervention, and then you can kind of cloak and disguise this misrule in a broader sense of things being very uh, on the edge. Well, that connection, that idea of the supernatural being close at hand and it being a religious festival is an interesting one. Can you tell us a bit about how these two ideas interacted in Halloween? All Hallows Tide is the moment when the, the, the world of the supernatural, and we're particularly obviously in a, in, a, in, a, in a religious church sense, it's the dead we're talking about, not fairies and things, but in a popular context, the relationship between ghosts and fairies uh, and spirits sent by witches is all part of a similar sort of other world with similar traits, you know. So, you know, if All Hallows Tide is the moment when when the living are closest to the dead and the sense of commemorating the dead and you know, being in contact or 
communicating with souls in purgatory from a Catholic perspective, then it makes sense that almost like this is a kind of a portal time, you know, or as as as, as academics like to say, it's a liminal time. It's a, it's a boundary. It's a boundary time where the boundaries between the the living and the dead, the supernatural and the natural, are, per, are permeable. And, and and this is a time when you get quite a lot of divin, divination rituals as well about you know perhaps seeking who might die in the next year, those sorts of things. So it's it's this moment of liminality to give it a highfalutin term. Well, historians love the term liminal, don't they? So one of the questions we've had in from Julie Brummel is why is Halloween on the 31st of October? So you've answered the first part of that, which is it's a date in the Christian calendar. But is there anything more we can unpick there about why this time of year, perhaps, or why this festival falls when it does in the Christian calendar? This this comes back to, you know, are there Celtic or pre-Christian origins to this? And, and you can't definitively say there are or there aren't, because it is a time of year of decay. It is the time when the dry nights draw near. It is the time when, obviously, it's autumn, leaf fall. It's the time when the, you're getting the last crops, apples and pears. It's also a time when you start getting towards, you know, slaughter time, you know, in a traditional agricultural community, because grass is no longer growing and blah, blah, blah. So it is a, you know, it is a moment in the year of profound, you might call rural agricultural significance. Obviously, you, you can connect decay and the, the longer nights and tie that in, again, with this sense of boundaries being pushed uh, and, and the sense of the shorter nights and, obviously, um, again, links with the supernatural. And do we see any similar festivals elsewhere in the world? Most cultures will have some sort of festival which is to do with the dead, you know, and not just one. Obviously, you know, Catholicism being a global religion around the world, we also get, you know, quite a lot, particularly in, in Central and South America, we also get plenty of examples of the ways in which uh, you might call indigenous, non-Christian religious traditions kind of get merged and mixed up with the Catholic calendar custom of All Hallow Tide. So you get you get this very rich mix of the ways in which All Hallow Tide and All Hallows Eve all Saints Day or All Souls Day is celebrated around the world today. Certainly in, in Britain, America, it's much more as we'll come out, you know, a commercial festival of entertainment and stuff. But, you know, across other parts of the world, it's, it's, a, it's a profound religious festival, but still go with celebration. You know, they might carry statues of saints around the place, for example, all sorts of other traditions. Okay, so now we've covered off some of the hows, whys and wheres. Let's dig into the whats. So Ali Louisa on Instagram has asked, what were some of the earliest Halloween traditions that we know about? Well, I mean, again, that comes back to how, how to the early church and obviously things like the saying of masses for the dead. You might put out lights for the souls in purgatory uh, and candles, for example, on these sorts of days. In a Protestant predominantly Protestant country like Britain or America, you know, we're, we're looking at sort of echoes of old Catholic festivals at this time of year, which might be, say, with lighting of candles and things like that, but are no longer considered to be Catholic practices, just become part of popular custom and tradition. Certainly in Scotland, we have evidence in the 18th century. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We don't always realize just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it. So your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash history extra. Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. The 19th century of people gathering together on Halloween as well and... Um, uh, not not to commemorate the dead per se, but to mark that time of year. Over over centuries, it it becomes more of a just marking the calendar in a more secular sort of way. Again, different again than Catholic. You know, it's live and hot in Catholic countries, but you know that's that's a different matter again. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. If you 1920s, 1930s, you've got um, you know local conservative party having a Halloween party. You've got schools having Halloween, but you even got sort of churches having Halloween parties, which seems slightly odd. But it just shows you how disconnected from 1930s was coming when you've got church congregations saying putting on a Halloween party to raise money. Now we've got a few questions about specific Halloween traditions that I wanted to run past you. So Kimberly Dresler has asked what you can tell us about jack-o'-lanterns, where the name of them comes from, um, and why they're carved at Halloween. I mean, well, jack-o'-lantern was a traditional name for the, the ignited bog gas that people saw in the countryside at night. So another term is will-o'-the-wisp. Will-o'-the-wisp, that kind of luminous light that, that you see bobbing around on the moors, you know, you see in you know, Sherlock Holmes, and uh, you know, which, which, which is all part of Hound of the Baskervilles plot, you know. Um, so a will-o'-the-wisp, and the wisp in will-o'-the-wisp is a similar thing. Wisp, a wisp is a kind of tied, some straw tied together, which you would like just to briefly illuminate a place. So jack-o'-lantern is, is the same concept. It's a, it's a flickering, brief light. It's the idea, again, of going out on the moors with a lantern. You can just see this flickering. Is it, is it a lantern or is it bog gas? Is it, is it, you know, is it the ignus fatuus being ignited? So they both come from that. And so obviously you can see that um, carving and putting a light in a, in a pumpkin or a turnip or a swede or whatever, again, the light is flickering. It, it comes and goes as you move because it's, it's, it's only got you know, the small holes in it. So that, that's essentially where it, it comes from. And it's a kind of, yeah, it's, it's difficult to know the, completely the origins of it. 
enough so you could trace it to when people are eating Swedes and turnips in large <laughs> quantities before pumpkins become popular in the 20th century. So Swedes or turnips, it didn't have to be a pumpkin then back in the day? No, and I, even as even as a kid growing up in the 70s, pumpkins, no one no one was getting pumpkins at all. Um, it, we, we would carve Swedes, you know, that's... That's that was it, and the Swedes are quite hard to carve. Yeah, um, but you know there was lots of you know cuts and things and kids. So yeah, that that you know pumpkin really is recent. I mean, and but I can I've seen accounts of people carving um, Swedes or turnips in the 19th century. In fact, there's a there's a very nice story from a, a vicar in Devon, well known folklorist um, and clergyman called Sabine Baring Gould. And he tells this story as, as where, when he was t- he took over this the rectory in a, in a parish in, in Devon, and one night um, he thought he would he was as a young this is when he was young, and he thought he would scare the locals, you know, superstitious locals, and so he did. He carved a he carved a, a turnip and put a candle in it and put it in the churchyard and thought, I'm going to look, I'm going to scare the wits out of them. He, he did this, and then he sat watching the porch, hiding himself away, and this little old lady came along. Uh, at night, saw there was a light on. Saw it was a it was a you know a, a light in a in a calf turnip. Came in, pulled out the um, candle and took the turnip home to eat it. And he was most he was most disappointed that you know this this old woman wasn't jumping out of her skin at this you know at this, at this fright. So you can see it was being done like that you know as a as a prank you know in the nineteenth century. So Mark Earls has asked us on Facebook about trick or treating. So Mark said. When did trick-or-treating become a thing? He was specifically asking about the UK, but can we trace it back further as well? Well, you know, it's the, the, the trick part of it comes from Mischief Night. The term trick-or-treat, I think the earliest anyone's found it is the 1920s. I think it's in Canada, in fact, so it's in North America again. So it's, it's relatively recent. The term is relatively recent, 20th century. Really, again, becomes part of a, an Americanized form of Halloween after the Second World War, post-war period. And that's when, you know, it's in the 60s and 70s that we start getting the term trick-or-treat coming from North American being adopted uh, and used as part of this kind of new wave of, of Halloween, which is obviously much more centred on children. It's got echoes, hasn't it, of other traditions for festivals like this. So carol singing, you know, going door to door, asking for money, mumming, things like that. There's ritualised elements to it. And part of some of these rituals is the mumming or dressing up um, at this time. So you go around as a band, there might be a performance of a little play, mumming plays, you get ones with, you know, St George and other characters, as well-known ones which have been recorded from the early 20th century. And you do get um, cross-dressing by men, for example, uh, taking place like this. This, again, became an aspect of um, people trying to interpret this as some sort of much more ancient practice of trying to, you know, um, be disguised so that the, the, the spirits don't recognise you. It's not really that. And again, there's no, no no real evidence for that. There's a long tradition, just like in pantomime, of, of, of dressing up and um, men dressing as women and, again, transgressing norms. Um, through dress uh, and being disguised. Also, the element of being disguised when you're performing mischief, so you can't be recognised criminally. And again, it is, it's mostly about young men, but it, there is that element of charity. And if you don't give charity, then something bad, mischief will happen. This is where Halloween just becomes, moves completely away from its early church Catholic origins and then just becomes part of a, a wider series of popular calendar customs. So to pick up on your point about Halloween booming as this secular event in the calendar, Elle has got a question, which was when did people start capitalising on jump scares and spookiness for commercial game? 
One of the early examples is actually Salem, you know, of, of, of witch trial fame. In the 1890s already, the Salem Association was being marketed. You would have jewellery makers, etc., etc., selling trinkets which were related to Salem's history. And through the early 20th century and into the mid-20th century, Salem became quite a hotspot for this idea of the commercialization of witches as a kind of an entertainment, witchcraft as an entertainment, figure of witches entertainment. And in, it was in the early 80s that various businesses in Salem, Salem Town actually got together and started putting on Halloween events, which obviously was to attract people in for hoteliers and it's like a, a trades body in Salem that would so let's capitalize on spookiness. So you can probably look at Salem as being in the vanguard of dealing, of commercialising both Halloween and the idea of spookiness as fun and ghost tours and things like that. But you can you can look back into history and find other. You can think about the Cock Lane ghost of the mid eighteenth century in, in London. You know, famous famous sort of supposed ghost sighting and and rappings and knockings, which all took place in a in an inn in London, and the innkeeper was clearly you know, making lots of money from this because people were you know, flocking there, both, you know, wealthy people, influential people, national figures, as well as much more modest people, clergymen. He was making huge amounts of money out of out of this because they all came to space. Of, obviously, there's refreshments, but also came to stay to see the ghost. Certainly, ghosts have a long history of commercialization in this way. And I guess you could tie that all in with the emergence of gothic fiction and, and things like that as well. As that's essentially making money off of spooky stories yeah, isn't yeah, it yeah yeah no exactly i mean that, that all comes off the back of this longer tradition of the idea of particularly of particularly of ghosts and the idea of people wanting to have a supernatural experience when the supernatural is no longer <laughs> so much of a serious thing if you see what i mean so on the point of no longer being so serious kubelik on twitter has asked about Halloween costumes, whether there are any particular traditions behind Halloween costumes. And I wondered if there are any once really popular costumes that we don't maybe see anymore. Not that I can think of. The costumes are your standard stereotypical ones uh, of witches putting on a white sheet, looking ghoulish, trickle of blood round the mouth, putting on pointy hats, as I say, putting on black, or basically enacting the stereotypes from art and literature, which go back centuries themselves. I went through some um, newspaper history search engines from the 19th and early 20th century and put in Halloween party, and they really only kick off in the 1890s. And you do get people writing into some of the magazines going, how do I put on a Halloween party? What time does it start? There's one, it's called The Queen, a publication called The Queen in 1894. It said, you know, dear reader, you know, what, what, what are these things? What should I do? How should people dress up? Uh, what should, time should we be? What time should we stop? This dressing up phenomenon as a party atmosphere, yeah, is 1890s. But people were running around in, 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 in imitating ghosts, again, going back centuries. So the idea of mimicking the supernatural for a bit of fun has a longer history, but the idea of a Halloween party and collectively getting together and um, having jelly and jelly, you know, and things like that. If you 1920s, 1930s, you've got um, you know local conservative party having a Halloween party. You've got schools having Halloween, but you've even got sort of churches having Halloween parties, which seems slightly odd. But it just shows you how disconnected from 1930s was coming when you've got church congregations saying putting on a Halloween party to raise money, uh, and they're Protestant. You know, it shows it's become completely divorced from its origins. I wanted to take us on now to a, one of the most 
Googled search terms for the history of Halloween. A lot of people at Halloween, of course, like to sit down with some spooky treats and popcorn and a good horror film. So what was the first horror film? And are there any culturally significant ones that you think are worth mentioning as a historian? Oh, you know, it's a slightly tricky one about how you define a horror film, obviously, uh, in the first place. In terms of the first films that are kind of aiming to scare you by recreating supernatural figures like ghosts or dancing skeletons, uh, those sorts of things, or the devil, then that's right at the beginning of film, 1890s. You know, the very first cinematographers, you know, right, creating one, two, three-minute shorts. Right at the beginning, we're using amazing special effects, some drawn from camera technology, that would all have been done like double exposures and things like that. If I was looking at who who the earliest ones, I would probably put the French filmmaker Georges Méliès. I think um, whose films are amazing because I've, I've watched them all when I was writing and doing a history of the social history of ghosts. You know, right from the beginning, he knew what he knew. He knew, he, he knew that people wanted to scare, and in one sense, he's the pioneer of this of the idea of scaring as entertainment. It's a shift from when people are going, I really don't want to see a ghost, a ghost is scary, to let's go to the cinema and see this short where I want to be scared, you know, because it's all on a film. And George Beliers knew that. He tapped into the psyche of that. And, and his, his, his skills at film trickery are just extraordinary for the time. And he, he did one called The House of the Devil, which, again, has a, has a devil figure. But he did ones with ghosts and had ones where tables are dancing, everything's jigging around. There's also um, a British a filmmaker at the same time called George Albert Smith, who was operating in Brighton. And he too, right at the beginning, was doing supernatural shorts and, and recreating sort of translucent ghosts. The whole was for thrill, for a thrill and a scare. So those two, I would say, their, and their early forms were the, the earliest horror films. And then, then you get, obviously, um, when you get into the early 10s and 20s and then into the speakies, then you start getting the classics, sorts of Draculas and Frankensteins, you know, obviously based on literary stories rather than that simple scare, ta- you know, the scare scare factor of ghosts and devils and things. It's, you, know, you start getting into the realms of monsters and then into the 1930s when obviously then horror, black and white horror films, you know, being churned out, Bela Lugosi and Lon Chaney in America. And then the Hammer House ones, and then the real, you know, the scare shockers of the 1970s and 1980s, you know, including Halloween itself, which is obviously, which which goes back to being what you might call real shock horror, which are you know pushes the boundaries of what's entertainment or not. So clearly, there's long been this idea that people want to be scared, and and there's a thrill in it, there's an enjoyment in it. Yeah, and that I'd say that goes back to Magic Lantern shows in the you know in the uh, even into the 18th century people going along to a, a man, magic lantern they want to be scared by these images that are coming up of ghosts and, and, and skeletons and things so yeah it's a long history of scary tainment <laughs> i wondered whether there were any halloween traditions which have perhaps fallen out of fashion that you might like to see revived or they could be ones that you don't want to see revived but <laughs> perhaps worth mentioning uh, yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't want to see you know mischief night Increasing railway tracks or pushing over mobile toilets really brought back. That, that's I don't think that anyone, anyone, any of us want that. There was there are more simple things that 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 used to be done when I was a kid, which are probably which are still done now, which is bring you back to the kind of time of year and the agricultural rhythm, like that apple bobbing, bit of apple bobbing. Why not a bit of apple bobbing? And it it's it's tied in with the apple harvest and picking the apples at this time of year and cider making and 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 carving turnips. <laughs> yeah, everyone everyone should learn that how to carve a turnip. Pumpkins are too easy. And I wanted to finish 
today's instalment of our spooky special with a question from Julie Brummel. Is the world getting less spooky? What's your take on that as a historian? (laughs) Is the world getting less spooky? Uh, No. How we define spooky, what we think is spooky, and by spooky I think something that sends a shiver up your spine, uh, which gives you a thrill, which kind of gives you a sense there's something out there. Which I, you know, which I centre all the sort of things that make up a, a, a what is spooky or spooky experience. You know, some of the old things are, in, you know, in, almost innate. I mean, I I go back when people kind of ask these sort of questions to me, and I, I go, well, you know, in the 18th century, when you know the rise of so-called scepticism about supernatural, supposedly, and there's not really. There was a thing called the churchyard test. Someone proposed a churchyard test. So he said, you 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 skeptics, you skeptics, those you who, who don't get a bit of shiver up your spine, you go through a churchyard at night and tell me you feel nothing. Uh, and it's a great, it's a great response. And he says, you, you may not believe in ghosts, but you go through a churchyard at night and say nothing. So, you know, those associations with the dead on a personal community level are, are always with us. Again, that whole sense we've just been talking about getting a thrill, uh, getting us out of the sense of what might happen, the things that are, are beyond science. I mean, what, what are UFOs? You know, UFOs are a sense, an aspect of the spooky. UFOs arrive essentially... Uh, you know, in the 1950s onwards, it's a, it's a new thing, but it taps into the same senses and, and thinking, is there something out there? Did I just see an alien? Have I had an alien experience? It's no different from that kind of, I don't really want to experience it, but I wouldn't mind having a bit of a thrill from it. Or maybe I don't, you know, I wouldn't want to meet a fairy. Yes, maybe I would want to meet a fairy. I don't know. So, you know, all those things are still with us, innate. Uh, and, and, you know, traditions may come and go. Something, a new tradition always crops up to tap into it, put it that way. That was Professor Owen Davies. Make sure to tune in again tomorrow for part two of our Halloween special. We'll reveal how witches went from terrifying old crones to symbols of female empowerment and why ghosts wear white sheets. Thanks for listening to the History Extra podcast. This podcast was produced by Jack Bateman. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.